This is our prayer tonight, God. Open the heavens. Oh, receive. Receive what is yours, Jesus. Receive what is yours. Can we lift our hands and lift our voice and sing worthy? Sing worthy are you, God. Come on. He's worthy. worship you and here we stand in awe that's right we worship you
lift your voice. We worship. Here we stand in
John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down their lives for their friends. And in this offering moment, I want to take a minute or two to honor our veterans. Today is Veterans Day. If you're a veteran, will you wave your hands so we can clap for you? And it, yes, thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. The thing that amazes me about our veterans is that for one reason or another, they chose to completely alter everything about their lives in the name of service. And I think that's extraordinary. When I think about giving, when I think about what we do when we come here, we easily could have lived our lives doing something else. We easily could have said, I'm not gonna give, I'm not gonna worship, I'm not gonna come. But we chose to alter our lives because of love, because we love God, because we love our families, because we love the people that we're around. And when I think about our veterans, I want to be like them. Like, what would it be like to alter my life, to go somewhere different, to do training, to do move to another country, move to another state in the name of service, in the name of giving, in the name of giving my life for something else? So as we give, there are four ways to give, on your phone, online, snail mail, box in the back. But as we do, I'm gonna pray over our veterans, pray over the offering. And as you give, as we pray, let's be in that posture of giving. There's no greater love than to give our lives, give of ourselves for our friends in the name of service. So let's pray. God, thank you so much that we have the privilege of serving you, that we have the privilege of being here among our people, of being in the presence of God with the people of God. And Lord, for our veterans, men and women who have altered their lives to serve others, God, I pray that you would bless them. God, I pray that they would be honored. God, I pray that they would be seen and known and cared for and provided for. And Lord, as we give of this offering, God, I pray that you would multiply it, multiply it into our cities, for our families, for our state, for the nations and into the world. God, we glorify you, we honor you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's continue to worship as we give.
can you do me a favor? Just one more moment here with the veterans. If you are not a veteran, would you please sit down right now? I want you to see the room. I want you to see. I'm going to get down on a knee because I don't deserve to be standing right now. Can you look around this room and see... One of my favorite possessions is, you can stay standing, just, I'm going to ha- have everyone stand just in a minute. Just stay standing, veterans, I'm sorry. You're like, we've been standing for 25 minutes. <laughs> Forgive me. One of my favorite possessions is the flag that was given to my dad and his mom at his dad's funeral. His dad died when my dad was 15. And they came and they put 21 gun salute and taps and the whole deal. And they got down on a knee in front of my grandma Grothy and gave the flag and said, thank you so much on behalf of the president of the United States. And we just want you to know that we do not take you and your service for granted. And you've made our nation incredible and you've paid a price and your family's with you. Can everyone say amen tonight? And your family's with you for your service. And so we bless you tonight, we honor you tonight, we speak the the favor of God over over you tonight, long life full of years in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Stand back up with me here for just a second, people. I just wanted you to see everyone standing, the veterans standing, a couple announcements. If you're new, come meet us in the back at Guest Central after the service. We have mission trips for 2024. If you want more of that information, go to the table in the back afterwards. 16 trips this coming year. They're going to be top class. Now, would you cross the aisle, hug a neck, shake a hand, take two minutes and be kind, and then I'll come open the Bible. One, two, three, be nice.
Good evening. Look at this place. You guys jammed it out tonight. Packing this place. We're emptying out the bars one Friday night at a time. Hey, God. Yes, Lord. Uh, I just came from my son's eighth grade playoff game, his first playoff game, and they won by three, and he had 19 points, and I got all kinds of adrenaline going through me. So if I just start screaming randomly, please forgive me, because that's what I've been doing. Ah! Uh, So anyway, I'm going to just kind of flush the system here. We're going to pray that I'll settle in. Uh, Good job, Dub. Proud of you, boy. Um, One other announcement. December 1st. Everyone say December 1st. December 1st, we have what we're calling our legacy offering. And some of you who've been around here for a while, you know the story. 16 years ago, New Life was $26 million in debt. And a global economic crash was descending on us. We had to fire 44 people overnight. It was heartbreaking, right? Chaos. Pastor Brady came 16 years ago and has just been chipping away. And he's been faithful and he's been creative and he's been aggressive while still doing incredible work in our city, opening up dream centers and buying Mary's home and doing incredible work to serve the poorest in our city, but also going after that debt. At the start of last year, we were $9.6 million in debt and we paid off $7 million last year. So praise the Lord. This year... We have paid off another six, uh, $600,000. we are at $2 million. And December 1st and December 3rd here at New Life North and New Life Friday night, we're going to have another legacy offering. And we're just going to knock that crap out, okay? We're just like, some of you are like, wow, salty language. We're serious about this. We got to get this done, okay? We got to get this done. So if you're wondering how to spell it, it's M-I-L-L-I-O-N for your check. Um, so um, let's do this. It's going to be a beautiful night. If you've not ever been in one of these, we put baskets down on the front of the stage and we ask everyone, we ask for 100% participation. If all you have is a dime, I want you to come down and drop it in and just say, Lord, it's yours. Someone last year said they didn't have any money and they brought an offering envelope and said, I'm going to be praying every day and this is my offering. And we said, praise the Lord. Thank you for that gift, right? So all of us, 100% participation, whatever that looks like for you, December 1st, and pray with us that at the end of the year, we'll be able to take out that mortgage note and get out a lighter and light that thing on fire. Amen? All right, good. That was... Golf clap, golf clap. You talk about money, people. Okay, the Bible. If you have your Bible, would you turn to 1 Kings 21? We're in week 14 of our series going through the book of 1 Kings, and I don't know about you, but I've been having an absolute ball going through this book. It is wild. These narrative stories are some of the greatest stories of ancient Israel, and there's high highs, and there's low lows, and there's betrayal, and there's heartbreak, and there's idolatry, and there's fear, and there's the powerful kings being brought low, and there's the poor widows being raised up as the hero of God's people, and just a story. And tonight we're going to pick up in chapter 21, and what I'll do is I'll read you the first 16 verses, so like, open your hearts, open your imaginations, and I'll read this text, I'll pray, and we'll jump in. Hear ye the word of the Lord, 1 Kings 21. It says, sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. 
The vineyard was in Jezreel close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Naboth, Ahab. Naboth, Ahab. Okay, just here we go. Ahab said to Naboth, powerful king said to the poor subsistence farmer, Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden since it's close to my palace. I, I need convenience in my life. Let me disrupt your life so that I can have vegetables close to home. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll pay you whatever it's worth. You know, just get evaluation and appraisal, that's fine. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. (laughs) His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, What's wrong with you? I've never heard that before. Lisa. I'm not saying you're Jezebel. I'm just saying I've heard you say that. Dear God. Lord have mercy. I just walked into one there. Anyone got a couch? Oh, great. Great. Why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? What's wrong with you? And he answered her, Because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll I'll give you whatever it's worth. I'll give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So he wrote letters in, so she wrote letters in Ahab's name, the king, placed the king's seal on the letters and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. In those letters, she wrote, proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people. But seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and the nobles who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezebel directed in the letters she had written to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. Then two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people saying, Naboth has cursed both God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death. And then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive but dead. And when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, holy smokes. (laughs) Let's pray. God, would you do it again tonight? Do it again. How many times have we been caught off guard by your word? How many times have we come into your presence needing to hear from heaven and you speak? How many times have we been confused? How many times have we been 
underperforming, if you will. We've we've fallen asleep at the wheel. We've lost our vocational holiness. we're, we're, We're not alert and alive and fresh. We pray tonight that you would change that. We pray tonight that you would invigorate us. We pray tonight that you would heal us. We pray tonight that you would challenge us with your word and chasten us with your word and encourage us with your word. We pray tonight that we would go home different than the way we came. We pray that you would make us your holy people. Lord, we just invite you. Would you begin to just say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. We long to hear from you. We say, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done right here tonight on the earth as it is in heaven in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Amen. It was an absolutely gorgeous land that God had given his people. It was the promised land. And these people had earned every bit of it. 440 years in Egypt as slaves, more bricks, less straw, the crack of the whip on their back skin and, and, and living out under the elements and, and, and God, will you please have mercy on us? And finally he leads them out and across the Red Sea. And then they spend 40 years in the blazing hot wilderness without any of Egypt's infrastructure. They're just out there on their own. And it was so bad for so long that they said, would it not be better if we had just died in Egypt? Like it went from Egypt to the wilderness and 480 years of nothingness until the Jordan splits and they walk over into the land of Canaan and it truly is a land flowing with milk and honey and it's verdant and fertile and and, and vibrant and explosive with, with, with life. A beautiful land and our story tonight takes us right into the middle of that land flowing with milk and honey, the Jezreel Valley, where we see one poor man with his ancestral land and he's happy because his land is working and he's working it and he falls into bed tired every night and there's that kind of happy exhaustion of the farmer. The happy exhaustion of the one who is is closely connected to the land and prayerful that God would send rain and sure enough he does and the land produces its harvest and you fill the barns and the Lord our God has blessed us and you sit down and you eat your vegetables and you have your steak and you go, look what the Lord has done. I wanna show you a picture of the Jezreel Valley where Naboth's vineyard was. Beautiful place, you see the the rows that have been cut there, you see the rotating crops, you see the mountains in the distance, you see the water there. It's a it this land pops with life in the Jezreel Valley. There are other portions of Israel that are very difficult to work, but this is one that is ready to, to produce life. So this is Naboth's place here, and he's happy with his ancestral land. And because of the strategic location and the ample water supply and the excellent grazing in the Jezreel Valley, archaeologists uh, believe that the Jezreel was the base for King Ahab's chariot corps and his cavalry. His chariot corps 
and his cavalry. So he's got the men who are gonna jump on the horses and they've got the chariots that they're gonna hook up to the back of the horses and we're gonna train the army out here and we're gonna deploy the army wherever we need to go in this region to protect the land that God has given us. So this land is a strategically fruitful location, so fruitful that King Ahab would move there and establish his capital and build his own celestial palace. Ahab loves the Jezreel Valley. He's powerful and he likes his place and he's building the kingdom. Ahab is on the rise. It's up and to the right and they've subdued their enemies and God has blessed them and they have a chance to really secure their borders and find peace. And So Ahab is growing the kingdom and, and Ahab is expanding his own personal home. And here's what inevitably happens when kings are growing is that there's all these little people that get in their way. All the Naboths who don't understand the, 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 the kingdom's trajectory. Like we've got to build, this is our moment. We've got to seize the moment. We've got to really go for it. And so the king Ahab is just really ready to put the pedal to them. He's, Let's do this. And, and this guy Naboth is, is working the land that he's had in his family for five, six, 700 years. And he's poor, but, but his land is working and, and there's that daily bread and he's in a good flow and he loves falling into bed with that holy exhaustion of the farmer. But the king comes to him and says, hey, let's, let's work a deal out. Your, your story's too small to be in my way. Your story's too simple and unsophisticated and bless your heart, Naboth. Let's kind of move you out to the hinterlands. Let's get you out. I'll take care of you. We'll do a swap. It's no big deal. And Naboth says, the heck, it's no big deal. This is my grandparents' land. This is a big deal. The king had a little guy who got in his way and Ahab wanted to make his life more efficient. It'd be nice if I could get my vegetable garden close and he wants to make his life easier. Naboth's vineyard, 100 years in the same family, hundreds of years in the same family, small-time subsistence farmer. He's, he, he, the simple joys, but we've got a conflict here. King Ahab, small Naboth with his vineyard. Settling into the promised land, God had commanded through Moses way before this, probably 400 years before this, God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai and he started to teach him how to lead the people and he said in Numbers 33, distribute the land by lot. As they're getting settled into Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey, distribute the land by lot according to your clans. To a larger group, give a larger inheritance and to a smaller group, a smaller one and whatever falls to them by lot will be theirs. And understand that this land was meant to be kept within a family in perpetuity, that it would never be taken from them. So much so that even when a family falls into debt and they have to leverage their one asset, which is their land, every 49 years, seven times seven, a perfect perfection coming together every 49 years. And on the 50th year, you would have the year of Jubilee, which means all debts are canceled and all land is returned back to the ancestral home. Do you see that God cares about the people having their place? God cares about the, the people having their dignity. God cares about the people living in a large generational, multi-generational story. And so Naboth knows that and he says, this is my ancestral land. I can't, I, I just, it's not for sale. 
you know, there's certain things you just can't buy. There's certain things you can't offload. There's certain stories you cannot break away from. And Naboth understands this. And Naboth replied to him, the Lord forbid that I should get, the Lord forbid. Can you imagine saying this to the most powerful person in the country? You're a small person with a small story and, and you could actually probably make some good money here. Like, let's, let's, let's really work it. If, how bad do you want this vegetable garden, King Ahab? Show me the money. Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. I have to keep living in this story. And Ahab objects, I promise I'll pay you. Just swap me. Just let's make a deal. You move and I get convenience and I'll give you. And he says, I would be selling my story. I would be selling and squandering my identity. I can't do it. And I'll just say, the, the worth of the most important things can't be determined by an appraisal or by a business valuation formula. The worth of the most important things in our lives can't be negotiated. First Kings 21 verse four, so Ahab went home and he sulked. <laughs> he sounds like a real warrior, this Ahab. And Jezebel says, why are you so sullen? Won't you get up and eat? And he answered her because, and you, you know the story. And so what does she do? She hires two Hitman, I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Shut up and get up and eat. You, <laughs> you can imagine the conversation that night. You no good excuse for a human. She was punking him, right? And he, he deserved it. She hires two hitmen. He blasphemes God and the king, stone him to death. And as soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, verse 15, she said to Ahab, get up. And take possession. Everyone say, get up. Get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, that he refused to sell you. And he is no longer alive but dead. And when Ahab heard that he was dead, he what? He got up. And he went down. He took his power. And he went down and he took the land. I'll say that this text shows us the danger of having a voracious appetite and an insatiable desire to have more, okay? Now, don't, don't create a false dichotomy here. I'm not saying we shouldn't have dreams. I'm not saying we shouldn't work. I'm not saying we shouldn't have a vision. I'm not saying we shouldn't be wholly ambitious. I'm not saying that God wants us to play small and to cut corners and to just be precious and to wait for heaven. I am not saying that. What I'm saying is that this text shows us the danger of having a voracious appetite and an insatiable desire. Insatiable, it cannot be satisfied. It's dangerous when your appetite cannot be satisfied. And King Ahab and his wife Jezebel they could not be satisfied. Their, their, their story was up and to the right. The palace was working. The kingdom was united. There was strength in the land. God was blessing the land, but they just had to have one more. And that little guy, Naboth, was getting in the way. It's dangerous to have an insatiable appetite. I'll say it this way. This text details the curse of unchecked acquisitiveness. Unchecked. Acquire, acquire, acquire. 
acquire. I've always got to have a project. I've always got to be chasing. I've always got to have more. I'm, I'm never satisfied with enough. I never go home and just say, look what the Lord has done. You know, God in Genesis chapter one, this is just occurring to me. The beauty of each day, the six days of creation before the Sabbath, the beauty is that God stepped back from it and said, that's good. I'm happy. God could have kept pressing in. He could have done more. He could have pushed the limits. He could have, there's no limit to what he could have done. But he got to a stopping point at the end of each day and he went, that's good. I'm fine. Praise the Lord. And God saw that it was good. There is a danger in unchecked acquisitiveness. I've just got to have one more. I've just got to press a little harder. I've just got, I've, I've been with people who are wildly successful and I sit across the, the, the room from them and you know what I see? Not all the time. You, you know what I have seen? Deep exhaustion. Deep soul sadness. Not all the time. Plenty of people who are knocking it down and they figured out the right amount and they're resting and they're worshiping the Lord, living well. There are other people who you would think if you looked at their spreadsheets that these would be the happiest people you've ever seen. And what I see is sadness. I see exhaustion. Why? Because there's a curse to unchecked acquisitiveness. And, and Ahab just had to have one more. But if you're a student of scripture, this isn't the first time we've been warned about this. This isn't the first time. Like, if you've been paying attention to scripture, some, there'll be some older resonances that will fire off in your mind here when you read this text. You've already seen this pattern with King David, 2 Samuel 11. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David, he should have gone to war. In the times when the kings go off to war, what did David do? He sent. He didn't go off to war. He decided he was going to mail this one in. He was going to take personal convenience. Like Ahab wanted personal convenience. Give me your 500 year story because I need vegetables close to my house. David sent somebody because he wanted personal convenience. The, Joe, the king's men and the whole Israelite army and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David what? He got up. Like Ahab, Jezebel said, get up, go down there and take something that's not yours. David got up one evening from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. And David what? Sent someone to find out about her. Do you already see the darkness that's closing in on David? Hey, Go find out about her. He sends someone to do his dirty work. He sends someone to find out and to, to manipulate and to start working. And what kinds of dark conversations had to happen for David just to get that one little piece of new news that would do something in his soul that would turn him toward darkness, that would destroy not just him, but the nation of Israel. David got up and he sent someone to go find out. And the man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And then David what? Sent, this is three times, sent, sent, sent someone, messengers to get her, okay? So most scholars believe, and I'm in this camp, that David raped Bathsheba. This wasn't a consensual affair. He sent someone to go get her. She's a 
poor woman in a patriarchal society with a powerful king and all the men are out to war and David can do whatever he wants so he sent messengers, go get her. Like Ahab sent someone to go get Naboth's land. Give me that vineyard. Give me that woman. She came to him and he, again, you see the agency here. She doesn't have any. He slept with her. And now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. And, and then he sent her back home, the indignity, the impersonal, just, I used you, go back home. And the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. And at the end of the story, it says, but the thing David had done, not the thing that David and Bathsheba had done, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Now, some of you are saying, what's the connection here? I want you to see that Naboth with his precious vineyard is positioned in the, this text that we're reading tonight as another Uriah. Uriah is the hardworking, decent man who's married to Bathsheba. And Uriah is doing what he should be doing. And he's out serving the nation and honoring God. He's out in the battlefields and David's mailing it in at home, stealing his wife. Uriah loved his wife Bathsheba, but David lusted after her and he used his power to take her and to kill Uriah. Naboth loved his land, but Ahab lusted after his land and used his power to take that land and to kill Naboth. You see, David took and killed and Ahab took and killed and the land was pillaged and Uriah's wife was pillaged and Uriah's life was taken from him. Do you see the danger in unchecked acquisitiveness? I just gotta have more. I gotta have one more. I can't stop. I, I, I need more. It's what we call lust. Just one more. What I have is not enough. There's something out there that would be better. There's something out there that would make me happier. There's something out there that if I could just, and then I'll stop. Once I get that one more thing, then I'll stop. But lust never stops. It just keeps going. You've got to have one more. If you're a student of scripture, you see that this goes all the way back. So we've got Naboth with his vineyard and we see that resonance with David and Bathsheba killing Uriah. But if you've been a student of scripture, you'll, you'll keep going back to Deuteronomy 5 where Moses is on top of Mount Sinai and God is speaking to him, giving him the 10 commandments. And God says to Moses, tell the people, neither shall you covet. Everyone say covet. Neither shall you covet your neighbor's wife or husband. Neither shall you covet your neighbor's house or field or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. God says to Moses and Moses says to the people, don't covet, kill lust. Kill the thing that aches for just one more. Kill the thing that looks out there and sees a better life that other people have. Like root out covetousness and I'll, I'll to covet means to long or to yearn or to wish for earnestly, to desire what belongs to another inordinately. Don't covet. Do not let yourself get taken over by the darkness. And covetousness starts to build idols. It, it fixates on what it doesn't have. 
And I promise you the battlefield, one of the major battlefields for your life will be the devil trying to remind you of what you don't have. What you don't have. Genesis 3. Tell me, read Genesis 1 and 2 and tell me what Adam and Eve don't have. Oh my Lord, look at this and look at that. And oh, it's just the two of them walking around in their birthday suits. And oh my gosh, it's just, un- what don't you have? What don't you have in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2? And then Genesis 3, the snake slithers up and starts whispering to them about what they don't have. You could be like God if you would just go to the one tree that he told you to avoid You could be like God. You could be happy. You could be wise. God knows that you're a threat to his regime. And so that's why God's holding out on you. God doesn't want you happy. God wants you miserable. And and, and do you even know what's out there outside of the garden? The snake starts planting seeds of sedition that would end up taking them over from the inside out. One of the great battlefields of our lives will be the enemy trying to tell us what we don't have. Deuteronomy 20, verse four. God says in the other account of the 10 commandments, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. And when the snake slithers up and starts planting seeds, oh, God's holding out on you. You're missing out. Hey, you don't have this and you don't have that and your life isn't like theirs. And if you, and covetousness starts to take us over and we yearn for other people's lives. We yearn for other people's gifts. We yearn for other people's looks. Oh, I just wish I had hair like so-and-so. They just, they just get out of bed in the morning looking good. I have to work for this. That was supposed to be funny. That was funny. You're all like, <laughs> you're not working very hard. <laughs> what happens is we start having images drop in our hearts and we start fixating on those images. The, the, the King James calls them graven images. They get engraved on our hearts and on our minds and on our souls and we build these idols and and, and people putting pictures of cars up on their bathroom mirrors because they just gotta have that car, that car. And and I've got this car that gets me around but if I could have that car, then I would be happy. You know, Farrah Fawcett, right? You put Farrah up on the wall, right? 50 years ago, right? Guys were doing this. Farrah's, you know, everyone's like, oh my gosh, he's talking about this. Yes. You remember, right? If I could just, if, if my wife could, if my girlfriend could, or if my husband could, or if my boyfriend could, what happens is we start building this imaginary world that starts to make us ungrateful for the gift God has put right in front of us while we're looking for something that is not ours. Something that should not be ours. Something that will never be ours. And these graven images start etching themselves in our souls and in our psyches. And we, I just, I just, I just, look at the Genesis 1 and 2 story that you're living in and quit obsessing over what you don't have. But this is how the devil plays in the battlefield of our minds. 
I want to be this, 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 I want to have this, I want to have, and when I get it, then I'll be happy. And Jesus comes along and he disabuses us of all these notions. He's, he, he, he pours a cup of cold water on our faces to wake us up. And Jesus says, seek first. We've got these images, and if I could just, and if I could just, and I covet, and I yearn, and I ache, and I long, and I want, and I, I wish, and I hope, and Jesus says, stop that. Seek first the kingdom of God, and seek first his righteousness, and all these other things will take care of themselves. When did you ever lack for bread, he says. When did you ever lack for love? When did you ever lack for your father's affection? When did you ever feel like God was holding out on you? Seek first the kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. Like, let that be your image. Let that be the thing you put on your bathroom mirror. Let that be the thing that you hang on your wall in your study and you pray for that. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first righteousness and everything else will sort itself out. Jesus wants us to beware. I'll say it this way. Here's what happens. Graven images end up engraving themselves on our souls and on our psyches. And this is why looking at filthy pictures is so destructive because those images get engraved on your psyche. They get etched into your imagination and you start chasing something that is not yours and you start chasing something that will never be yours and you start chasing something in your heart that God doesn't even want to be and it's going to frankly rot you from the inside out while you miss Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 right in front of you. They end up etching themselves on our souls and I need you tonight to understand the devil's strategy. As we come to a close here in just a couple minutes, I need you to understand the devil's strategy. The devil's whole goal is to make you unhappy with the actual life God has given you. That's it. We see it in Genesis 3. Once the seed of doubt was planted in Adam and Eve, it was a ticking clock toward them walking away. Because God... (sighs) There's more, there's more, there's more, there's more. No, there's not. There's just death and destruction and the enemy's attempt to lead us into chaos. Settle into the gift God has given you. The devil's whole goal is to make you and me ungrateful with the actual life that God has given us. So I'll say it this way. The task is not to get what you want. The task is to learn to want what you have. Sit with that. America is built on getting what you want. Push and drive and plan and five-year performance. And if I could just, in, in 10 years, I'll be really happy when. And you're miserable the whole way and you show up 10 years later and you're miserable for the rest of your life until you can finally get to the place where you say, God, you have been good to me. I seek first the kingdom of God. I seek first your righteousness. Lord, I pray that you'd make me clean. I pray that you'd make me grateful. I pray that you would make me humble. I pray that you would make me holy.
I pray that you would give me eyes to see the people who actually need some things that I have and I can just give those things away. Instead of living in the imaginary space of all the things I don't have, Lord, thank you for breath in my lungs. Thank you that you got me out of bed this morning. Thank you that I have that car. My first car was a Chevy Corsica, 1988 Chevy Corsica. Piece of trash, thank you, Jesus, for the Chevy Corsica. Hallelujah, God. I was so happy. Okay, the car was so bad, we recarpeted ourselves, and it was terrible. Like bubbles in the whole thing, and the ceiling was falling down. The, you know, the, the cloth was falling down. We put thumbtacks in the ceiling. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for the Chevy Corsica that's getting me all over Tulsa. God, can you start to fall in love with the life you actually have? And when you do... When you do, the enemy does not have access to drive you out of the garden. So many people, it's breaking my heart. So many people have so much, but they're, they're, they're so wrapped up with the, I wonder what. Shut up and get down into the gift that's in front of you. The task is not to get what you want. The task is to want what you have. To thank God for what he's given you. And I'm not saying you can't plan and dream and build and push. Do that. But do not do that at the expense of being grateful for the gift God has put right in front of you right now. Because if you hate the life God has given you right now, you will hate the life that you hope to get one day. There is no magical day where you show up and you're finally able to love your life. How many of the great scriptures are written about glorying in your weakness and all the affliction? And Paul is in the prison saying, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. How can you say that? That's someone who has been battle tested and been trained to actually stay with God in the life he's given you right here and right now, knowing that it will change but right now I'm going to fall in love with the gift of the life God has given me. The task is not to get what you want. The task is to learn to want what you have and to thank God for the life he has given you. Covetousness kills. Lust erodes love. And love is willing to sacrifice. Love is willing to be focused on one. And so friends, tonight, you can be Ahab and Jezebel with unchecked acquisitiveness. I just, I, I just, I just. Or you and I can be Naboth. Whatever little vineyard God has given you to work, the story that you're inhabiting, and Naboth was deeply thankful and grateful and he worshiped the Lord for the life that he had. Friends, I'll take Naboth every day of the week and twice on Sundays. Fall in love with the life that God has given you and then let him lead you forward into the life that he has for you tonight. I beg you to fall in love with the Genesis 1 and 2 in front of you and don't live in Genesis 3. Can you stand with me tonight?
would you open your hands and open your hearts as we are about to receive communion? And I want to just take a moment here and let the Holy Spirit search us and know us. I don't want to rush past this. I want to ask you a few questions. One, what did you hear tonight? What did the Holy Spirit say to you tonight? Where were you convicted tonight by the Spirit? Challenged? Stirred? Second, what do you need to be more thankful for tonight? Can you just start making a list in your mind of all the ways that God has been good to you? Can you start making a list of all the mercies that he's poured out on your life? Can you, can you start getting really elemental? First, we're here. We're here tonight. We made it. <laughs> Someone has loved you along the way. You've had some good friends along the way. Like, get really elemental. What can you thank God for that maybe you were missing, you've, you've grown accustomed to? Let me ask you this. What, what image do you need to strike down tonight? What has become idolatrous for you tonight? The thing that you're pushing for, the thing that you're longing for, the thing that's way out there outside of the garden that's been driving you and, and frankly making you crazy. What do you need to get rid of tonight, the image that you've been chasing? Can you repent of that tonight? I, I genuinely want to create a moment of repentance. The Lord has been talking to me about this all week. That's the thing about preaching is he, he works on me for five days with this text. So I'll, I'll invite you for five minutes to just, what do you need to get rid of tonight? Lord, I lay that down. Lord, I repent of that. Lord, I, I, I disavow that. I don't need that, God. You've been so good to me. I don't need that. So Lord, here we are. We pray, search us and know us and see if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the way of everlasting life. I wanna put the prayer of confession up on the screen and I want us to pray this all together. It's coming from David, King David, after he had killed Uriah and taken Bathsheba and he finally, his heart breaks and he's convicted by the spirit of God and he repents. And I want us corporately to take these words up on our lips. So would you join me now in praying these words by saying, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name and all God's people said. Friends, tonight, in repentance, we find the great reset. God is not here to shame us. 
God is here to restore us and to turn us back loose into life. So the good news of the gospel is if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Tonight, I say to you, with the authority of the word of God, you are clean, you are free, you are forgiven, you've been washed, a new day has dawned in your, in your life, and there's a future for us tonight. Can we thank God for his forgiveness? I want to invite our communion servers to come down and to be ready to serve us. If you're new with us, what we do is we come through the room each week and we come and get communion elements and we go back and we worship. And in just a minute, I'll come and lead you in receiving communion. If you're physically not able to come through the room, no shame, tap your neighbor. They'll bring you an extra. But let's worship the Lord. Let's respond to Jesus as we come through to get our communion elements. Come worship Jesus.
burn away everything that's not of you. Oh, I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I won't be formed by feelings. I'll hold fast to what is true. And if the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. Because death is just a doorway into resurrection life. And if I'll join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. And when you open your communion elements and be ready to receive every week the table of the Lord has something to teach us it's endlessly and inexhaustibly fruitful to to teach us but as I'm thinking this week about the table of the Lord I'm thinking this kind of Naboth's vineyard simple hard work scrappy pulling the belt in, tightening things. Like Jesus, he, he's about to go die. But you get the sense that there is this deep satisfaction in him. And he goes, hey, learn to want the life God has put you in. Learn to be faithful to the story God has put you in. Jesus, the, the enemy tried to negotiate with him out in the garden. And he says, all right, I'm going. If it be thy will, let this cup pat. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus falls in love with the life God had called him to. And as we receive tonight, we're falling back in love with the life God has called us to. So there's a holy simplicity returning tonight as we take bread and cups of friends on the night he was betrayed. Jesus took the bread and he broke it. Would you break that little wafer? And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, remember me. As often as you do this, sign back up for the life I've called you to. Friends, tonight, Jesus is going to give us the strength to want the lives that we have. You may receive this. Tonight, I sense to just say prophetically that as we drink the cup, He's going to retrain our appetites. 
He's going to check that unchecked acquisitiveness. He's going to, that insatiable desire, he's going to go, let me satisfy you tonight with the cup. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. Settle in. So friends, tonight, receive the cup, receive forgiveness, receive satisfaction from Jesus. Let's sing, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Two, three. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. Give him thanks tonight, church. Give him praise tonight. Lift your hearts to the Lord. Shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will say, Great are you, Lord.
can I give you an assignment this week that I have no authority to give you? I won't be able to grade the assignment. I'm not going to ask you to turn it in, but I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you an assignment. You can decide if you want to do it or not. But I had this picture as we were singing this last song. I saw you in like an office or a study or a quiet place and you had a journal out and you wrote at the top of it, the life I actually have. And then just start writing it down. Write down all the ways God has been good to you. You can also tell the truth about the complexity, the difficulty, the sadness, the betrayal. You can, you can write it, the life I actually have. So tell the story. But I just see you like it, it, it's starting. It takes a little bit to get started. It takes a little bit to get started. But all of a sudden the dam breaks and the water gushes and you, and you start to realize all that God has done. And so I just want to assign that to you. I want to give you that provocation to sit in the presence of the Lord, take 15, 20, 30 minutes and write it out and then begin to just pray. Turn that into your prayer list and thank God for what he's done and ask God to bring healing and restoration where there's difficulty and death and complexity. But friends, we have to fall in love with the life that God has actually given us. And so let's do that this week afresh. Would you open your hands to receive the blessing as we go tonight? We say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Psalm 103, forget not all his benefits. Lord, we thank you for every way you've been good to us. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that we're here tonight. We thank you that we're with the body of Christ. And as we go tonight, I pray, Lord, for my friends. Bless them, bless them, bless them at their workplace, in their health, in their relationships, in their finances, in whatever they touch, let it prosper. I pray you would bless them, that you would keep them, that you'd make your face to shine on them, Lord, and be gracious to them. Lord, I pray that you would lift your bright, smiling countenance upon them this week and that you would grant them your shalom, that your peace would be upon your people. And I pray these things tonight in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Can we give God thanks for what he's done here tonight? 756. We're doing just fine. A uh, couple announcements. Prayer team is coming. We would love to pray with you if you have prayer needs. If you're new, come see us at Guest Central. If you want the mission trip information, swing back by the booth. December 1st, legacy offering. Mark your calendar. Pray and obey. That's all we ask. Go from here in God's grace and peace. Much love.